Let's kind of connect and uh, see how we can educate the world on 5500s. Hello, and welcome to another edition of LISI's award-winning Carrier Calls podcast series. Each segment is designed to bring you in on a conversation we're having with our valued carrier partners. Here you'll get the inside information on what sets them apart, how they are raising service levels, and what's next on the horizon. Thanks for joining us. Carrier Calls. I'm Rebecca with our Intel team. We're kicking off 2021 by looking at compliance. It's a new year and it's on everyone's mind. What does my group need to do to be compliant? Particularly today, we're going to be looking at Form 5500, Form 5500. And to tell us more, I'm glad to welcome back to the podcast, Jeff Strong from Sterling. Well, hello there, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well. So I'm the vice president of sales for Sterling. So I run the, the whole sales side of the fence. But a lot of my life is making sure I understand compliance and educating the market and working with my great partner buddies and also making sure that my broker friends and community kind of color within the lines and do everything they should. All right, compliance. It's a big subject. Let's go ahead and jump in. Let's start with the basics. What is Form 5500? Definitely. So 5500 world is always something that the broker community and everybody else kind of cringes and go, oh gosh, do we have to? And they feel like they're having to take their calculus class in high school or do their taxes 10 minutes before they're due. Uh, what 5500s are, they're designed to disclose the, the coverage uh, that's provided, the premiums that are paid, and the commissions paid out for the plan year that is driven by a product. And it's usually provided by the carriers. So on a benefit, that applies to anything that the group offers, correct? Not just medical benefits or ancillary. It's any, anything, correct? All righty. So the main reason that they want to listen to this uh, podcast, and you're nice enough to offer, they're going to get some golden nuggets here. One of the things that I often get asked is, hey, Jeff, it's me, Broker A. I'm just calling because I wanted to let you know that my group has gone over 120 employees, so I have to do 5,500s and off you go. And they're close, but that's not quite right. So what happens is 5500s are defined by uh, 100 or more employees on a product as of the effective date of the insurance. So what happens sometimes is they may have a group of 120 employees, but out of all the benefits that they offer, medical, dental, vision, life, FSA, the most they have are 80 people on a life insurance plan. So in that type of situation, they wouldn't need to file. But the brokers and the community doesn't know that, and so that's probably why we exist. But the, a good way and a great rule of thumb to remember, everybody, is you have 100 or more uh, employees on a benefit as of the effective date. Anything that has a carrier that provides it. So I'll give you an example. So you've got your medical, you've got your dental, you've got your vision, you've got your life, you have your FSA. If you look at all these things right here, these are all things that have some kind of carrier or vendor that's providing the opportunity to participate. Well, a couple of rules of thumb you want to think about. Uh, primarily your highest is normally your life, right? So normally if you have over 100 on a company, the employer is buying life insurance uh, for everybody. So they tend to have over 100 employees on the life insurance as of the effective date. So that's your first place you want to look. The place you tend not to see it very often is your FSA. Why? Your FSA, you may have 130 people 
but the rule of thumb is you usually get about 20 to 30% participation. So that means you've got a ways to go before you had to have 100 on your FSA. But let's say you're a broker and you've had a wonderful year and you've got Disneyland or a giant company. Uh, they have thousands of employees and they have 100 on their FSA. Well, then you would need to file. Those are great tips. Okay, so this is my group. Now it's clear that I have over 100 employees on this plan and that I need to file. What now? So a couple of things we want to pay attention to. So when you get the group and you look at them, you want to make sure it's 100 or more on that effective date. So I said it slowly, not for the dramatic effect, because I want you to absorb it like a sponge, everybody. But you also want to be astute to that if they have over 100 uh, after the effective date of the insurance, then they don't need to file for that year. So sometimes uh, when clients get BORs, they'll say, oh, I got this group, they were 60 lives. And as of the effective date, and then six months later, they absorbed the company and now they're 130 lives, so I need to file for that year. Nope, don't need to do that. It has to be as of that effective date. So that's a key thing for us to remember. The second thing what you wanna do is you're now gonna say, okay, well, I now know I need to file, but when is it due? So this is kind of, this is a really good point for you guys to know. You wanna remember that the filing is due the last day of the seventh month after the end of the plan year. So a lot of you are kind of going, wait, huh, what? My head hurts. Well, not a problem, we'll help you out. So I'll give you an example. So if you have a group where their plan ends on 1231, right, which a lot of us know that's very common, especially in that majority of our fourth quarters are crazy. Uh, so you're gonna find that that filing would need to be done on 731. So as I say this, I'm sure a lot of the brokers are shaking their heads, oh yes. We hit July and there's a lot of stress with those crazy 5,500s. I'm gonna give you guys a little cheat way to, to check and remember. And the cheat way is this. When you look at the Schedule A's, you're gonna notice they have a plan year. The end of that plan year, I want you to add seven. So an example, you took our 1231, we added seven, that equals 19, doesn't it? Now, for those of you that know your military time, that is 19 equals seven or 731. So that way you know, oh, I got a file then. But you know the beautiful part, my friend, Rebecca, is they don't need to really worry about that because you've got entities such as myself and Sterling that are here. Just give us a call, we'll help you figure it all out. Yes, I love anything that can help our brokers shine for their clients. And you guys do a wonderful job at keeping track of all of those dates and oh, yes. concepts and rules for them. Oh, yes. Okay. How many Form 5500s do I need to file? First of all, you're gonna get Schedule A's from the carriers. You, Mr. Broker, will not. Mr. Employer will. And they will get the Schedule A's. And we've heard of adventures where people go, oh yeah, I got the Schedule A's and I put them in a folder and I moved on for a couple of years. We'll kind of talk about why that could be a big problem. But they'll get the Schedule A's that illustrate what we talked about. They'll have the name of the carrier, they'll have the client's EIN, they'll have the contract or policy number. You're probably going, Jeff, you changed your voice there. You're exactly right. We're gonna pay attention to that in a minute. They'll have the plan with the number of people that are enrolled, employees and dependents on the plan, the amount of commissions paid and to whom, and kind of the benefits and the amount of premiums. Now, I want you to kind of be remember, and I'm sure some of the people listening to this podcast have gone through this, where they have to file 5500s and they go, wait a minute, you know, Sterling or other entities have said, whoops, we need some more information. A lot of that's because sometimes the carriers on the Schedule A's will list the number of employees enrolled 
or they'll say of subscribers instead of employees and dependents and members. So sometimes you gotta have a little more information. So now getting back to your question, Jeff, how many do I need to file? Well, that all revolves around, remember when I changed my voice there, guys? That contract number, yep, that is something you wanna keep in mind. So you have to remember that the very beginning of our podcast, we talked about it's 100 or more uh, products as of the effective date. So if you have a situation where you have a couple products under one contract number with one carrier, then you would only need to file one filing there. So what the heck am I talking about? So let's picture that you have your medical and dental and let's say life insurance with one carrier. So you have one contract number, B5578. Oh, okay, great. You've got the plan years. You've got you know all the information you need. So for that situation, instead of having to file three different 5,500 filings, because you only have one contract number, you could only file, you'd only need to file one. Now let's look at the other side of that coin. So now we've got a situation where we just got this client, they're really nice, but they have medical with one carrier, your dental with a second carrier, and their life with a third carrier. So what does that mean, my friends? That means we have three different contract numbers. So in that scenario, you would need to file three different 5500s. Does that help and kind of give a better picture? What do you think, Rebecca? Absolutely. So when you've been talking, you've mentioned a few times now Schedule A's yes. and compliance, right? It's alphabet soup, I swear. <laughs> so many numbers, so many letters. Yes. Just give us a quick reminder, what's Schedule A? Yeah, not a problem. I apologize. The, the, the downside of when you live in the ocean, you forget that others don't necessarily know what water is. So a Schedule A is basically just a form that they're going to get from the carriers, usually for your medical carrier, dental carrier, whoever, that are it's fully insured plans. And what the Schedule A will have is the name of the carrier on it. Hi, we're this carrier, and we want to provide you information that you need for the filing for the 5500s. They're going to tell you what the, the EIN number is. They're going to give that contractor policy number. They're going to put in the plan years, the amount of commissions and to whom they are paid, and the benefits that were provided, and the amounts of the premium. So really what it's doing is it's giving a financial snapshot that you're going to now use with the Schedule A to use to fill out the forms, to file it, to keep everything copacetic so that the governmental entities do not knock on the door and say, hey, you owe us money. That is exactly what we want to keep from happening to our groups, to keep them all in line, <laughs> coloring in the lines, like you said, to make sure that the IRS does not come knocking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you for filling us in on that definition. You said it perfectly. I feel like sometimes insurance and compliance is its own language. Yes, very much so. All right, so ERISA, that's another one of those alphabet soup words. How does that fit into all of this? Yeah, so that often is something we get asked, you know, the good old Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974. Uh, they do have a correlation between the two. So one thing that's interesting is every time you have a welfare plan, it requires you have an ERISA document. So if you've got 5500s in play, you're supposed to have an ERISA document as well. Uh, what is interesting is, is you've got the ERISA document, and I'm sure a lot of our friends as they're listening to this podcast right now go, there's also this other vehicle called an ERISA wrap. 
Oh yeah, that's right. I've heard about that. I, you know, I, I went to a lot of seminars on it. We, you, you and I talked about it here. And what the wrap does is it allows for the ability to blanket multiple products. Well, the beauty is it can also take all the plan numbers of your 5500s and put it into one. So you can have just one kind of vehicle to move forward. And so that is something you tend to see brokers that are pretty well put together have their clients on that are a bigger size because then instead of having to file, remember we talked about different contract numbers and you might have to have three or four or five different filings. You can absorb it into an ERISA wrap document and have one filing and off you go. So it, it blends and works itself together beautifully. It's very nice. Oh, that's wonderful. One, one stop shop. That, that's what we're looking for. Usually the question comes up, well, Jeff, I've got, you know, four or five 5500s and there's an ERISA document. You know, how does that all blend together? Well, normally what the rule of thumb is on the uh, Sterling and others um, realm is the second year, right? So normally you'll say, let's get an ERISA wrap document up and running. Let's file your individual 5500s. Then the second year, we're going to put it all together in one. Why? Because as we uh, will be talking about in a minute, 5500s have to fit in the square, not a rhombus, not a circle, not a triangle, a square. And so you want to make sure your timing and your structure is very fluid because if you don't, then it's, hot, it's a heartburn for everybody across the board. Wonderful. Okay. So I'm thinking like the broker now. I'm the broker. I just got this new group. I got the BOR. Now what? How do I make sure that they're lined up for all this form 5500, ERISA, Schedule A, all of these things that we've talked about? So this is the, the grotesque and sublime of the land of the BOR, right? When, when you as a broker and others get a BOR, there's nothing better in the world. You've had the sweet juices of victory. You've had the celebration champagne. Life is wonderful. Now it's where the rubber meets the road. The biggest ghost in the closet or concern is 5500s. Why? Because it's one of the few things that tends to get overlooked. Uh, and if you don't have a client that's pretty astute or they've changed HR individuals, or their broker just isn't really that well put together, this can become something that can become quite a big exposure. So what a lot of brokers will do is they will, as they kind of go through their due diligence, they'll dig into it and kind of say, all right, well, you know, how long have you had a uh, hundred or more on a benefit product as of the effective date? Okay, cool. Do you have any schedule A's? And like I had mentioned earlier, we had heard of situations where, oh yeah, uh, they had the lovely HR individual, and he had put all the form uh, Schedule A's that they had received over the last five years in a folder and didn't do anything about it. So then, as the broker, that can be challenging. So we've seen a couple different ways brokers will deal with this. A lot of them, what they will do is they will educate on what needed to have happened and kind of help them from that point moving forward, normally engaging Sterling to say, hey, can you help my, fr my, my new client clean things up? Um, we have seen brokers in the past say, hey, I'll help get this cleaned up and put some money towards it. That tends to be a, a little less um, common. But then, the, and then we do also have a third realm where you have a broker says, hey, I got the group this year. I'm just going to take care of this year moving forward. They tend to be the smaller. The majority of the brokers in the world want to educate their clients about what they need to do to solve the problem and guide them how to do it. Um, usually sending them over to Sterling to kind of look at it and get it resolved. Um, that's primarily the common thing. But this is one area you definitely want to pay attention to. Then secondly, they often ask if you have an ERISA wrap document. 
Um, and then sometimes you get this unique situation where they'll say, oh, we're covered, we're great, because we have our 401k and we have 5500s we've been doing, and that's wonderful. But you know what, everybody? Just like ERISA, it's two sides of a pyramid. So I want you to think of a pyramid, right? You got the, the left side and the right side, right? So the right side is 401k, 5500 filings, you proactively file it, off you go. What we work with, guys, is the left side, which is the employee benefits. So that means you got to have ERISA documents. You do need to proactively provide the 5500s when you're 100 or more as of the effective date. So make sure when you're talking to, to employees and employers that they know what they're talking about. Because remember, they, they are not as astute to this stuff as we are. But that's something that's really important and is very common that we hear. I love your illustration of the triangle or what makes it. <laughs> really easy to keep things lined up. I love all of your little tips and tricks to remembering this stuff. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right. So our brokers, they're going to be savvy. They're going to find the best sources out there to keep their groups in compliance. And they're not going to have to deal with this. But let's talk about it anyways. Let's talk about penalties. Yes. All righty. So let's kind of talk about the other side of the coin. So there's a couple things going on. One thing that I can tell you as sure as the sun comes up, as sure as I'm loud, as sure as I shadow a lot, all of you that are listening to this podcast who know me go, oh, yes, you got to turn my Bluetooth down when Jeff Strong calls. One thing that is guaranteed, if you have a client that goes up over 100, down below 100, up over 100, down below 100, you're going to get audited. The client is going to get audited. That has been a guarantee from the very first day that I moved into the land of uh, administration and compliance. So how do we solve that problem? Well, does it mean that you tell your employer you cannot let anybody go because you have to stay over 100 because we don't want you to get fined by 5500s? No, not at all. And that would be rather weird. Hopefully you're rolling your eyes, everybody. So what happens is this, you let the, there's actually on the forms, which Sterling will help you with, on the forms, there's something that says, hey, we've dropped below 100. Okay, you can check the box and then you would file it. And so then, oh, we went above 100. Okay, great, then you file it again. So as you would expect, if you keep the uh, regulatory bodies informed of what's going on, you're gonna be fine, off you go. Think of it like a parent, right? I have a beautiful five-year-old and eight-year-old, and I always find that the life works a lot better for the five-year-old and eight-year-old when they keep me, keep me in the know of what they're doing and what's going on. It's when things get dark or quiet, that's when we got problems. Same thing with 5500s. And so that's something you wanna keep in mind. The second thing is, remember we had mentioned the BOR, yes, and yet you just got a group. The number one thing you don't wanna do, and I'm, I'm, I'm slowing down so you're really paying attention, so make sure you pull that car over or wherever you're listening to this, I'm gonna say it, you ready? The number one thing you don't wanna do as a broker and as an employer is ignore it. Don't play the ostrich and put your head on the ground or, you know, if I just don't deal with it, it's gonna go away. Unfortunately, this is a realm that that does not happen. Same with your uh, ACA reporting. There's certain things in the world you got to engage in, and this is one of them. And I will tell you that if you are proactive and look to solve the problem, you're going to be put in a better position. So that is one thing to be astute to. And we can talk about what that means in just a second, but let me also kind of get into the heavy stick of the the penalties for not filing your 5500s. So the penalty is very heavy, guys. It is $2,233 per day until compliance is met. And so if you think about that and you go, okay, that's, that goes all the way back to the first day and it builds up or adds up, also known as cumulative. I always like to try to squeeze that word in. 
So if you're running some numbers and the client didn't file for four years, that would put them owing $3.26 million. That is brutal. And that's going to nuke any company out there. And for my super technical friends and brokers and buddies, they're getting their calculators out right now and double checking that, by the way, which I think is fun. <laughs> so it's, that's why we want you to pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to ACA reporting. These are realms that it's going to be a lot of pain and you've got to be very astute to it. Yes, we definitely want to keep groups out of that territory. All right. So now we know all about it. We know the penalty. Who files this thing? Great question. It, it's funny because it's so simple, it's easy, right? Sometimes the, uh, the simplest things are the hardest things. So who files it? So who files it is usually an entity such as Sterling or others. So what will happen is you'll have a client that will get Schedule A's. They will engage with Sterling. We help them uh, complete the form. They sign it, and then uh, we electronically file it for them, and we send a message saying, all right, you're, you're filed. You hit the window. Have a great day. Now, also, do want to keep in mind that the world understands, and the regulatory bodies understand it's not a perfect world by any means. So you can file an extension. So there'll be times where you get, you get a BOR, and it's July 2nd, and they are due July 31st. You know what? You can run to Sterling really quick and say, hey, I need to file an extension, and then it gives us more room to work, and then from there, uh, we, a new date is set, and then we have to hit that date. And then that's where Sterling comes in, and that's what we do to take care of it. Great question, though. It's funny because it's such a simple one, you sometimes forget, like, wait, who, what? <laughs> that extension is really invaluable, I think, for brokers to know about who may be taking over groups mid-year. Very much so. Very much so. And, you know, and that's the key thing. You know, and hopefully that everybody's listening is really getting the bigger picture. And the bigger view is, you know, depending upon where you are in the situation, just engage. That's the number one thing. Engage, work on it. Um, you know, like my mother used to always say, solve the problem. Work on trying to solve the problem and you'll be in a good spot. If you find that the client hasn't done it for multiple years, they have something called the delinquent filer program. And so it can actually cap your penalty at just $4,000 per product if they have multiple years that they owe. So that's really nice. But one thing I do want to also let everybody know, you know, if you do have a client that hasn't filed for multiple years, you're going to have late filing fees and then penalty fees. So it's going to be expensive to solve the problem, but it'll be a lot worse, as we discovered, if they decide to go dark or not do anything at all. What is the one last thing that you want to leave brokers with? You come to Sterling, we will engage and help out. We have people that do it. Can you imagine? I have a, a manager who all they do is 5,500s every single day, and she's terrifyingly good. At some point, I'm, I'm expecting to see her write the equations on the windows. She's that brilliant. And doing this all day long, I, you have to be, you would think. But one thing I, I do want the broker's world to know is when you deal with 5,500s, everybody, you're tend to get a, going to get a lot more emails, phone calls, questions, and it's not because Sterling or others are trying to see how much you know or they figure you're just hanging around having three martini lunches. No, it's because what I had mentioned earlier, the regulatory bodies want it to be a square. It cannot be a circle. It cannot be a rhombus. So you will tend to get a lot more emails or phone calls or kind of things that need to be defined out exactly. And it's really not Sterling or, or others. It really is more what the regulatory body wants. And so you've got to kind of meet that requirement.
I think that about wraps up the time that we have today. I don't think you could have shoved any more useful information into this <laughs> 22 minutes. Um, thank you so much, Jeff, for joining us, as always. You bet. You always appreciate the opportunity to talk and share. Hey, and thanks, everyone, for listening. For more info on what we discussed today, check out our show notes on LISIbroker.com. If you have any questions, reach out to your LISI sales team. If you have a topic that you would like for us to tackle, shoot us an email at intel at LISIbroker.com. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy what you're hearing. Follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple, or find us on your favorite podcaster.